Hello. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sarah and I am the youth worker here. Um, it's my great pleasure to uh, talk a little bit about Jonah this morning. Now, we've been going through a series in Jonah in the morning services, and we've now gotten to the only chapter in Jonah that's not really about Jonah. Um, and because it's different, I guess they thought they'd ask the youth worker uh, to speak about it. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Let me just pray for us. Lord, as we open your word this morning, would you quieten our minds and open our ears to hear from you. Speak to us out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I wonder if you have ever made a mistake, done something that is wrong, and then had somebody point it out to you. Perhaps for some of you, something immediately came to mind, perhaps a moment of embarrassment. I am going to confess to you all this morning uh, something very ashamedly. Um, we have uh, a WhatsApp group with some of our young people on it. A few years ago, we used to have this WhatsApp group. Um, and at one point, one of the kids asked me, what is happening, Sarah, with this event? What time does it happen? Now, I had previously posted a picture with all of the details of this event on the WhatsApp group. So I decided, instead of repeating what I had already shown them, that I would use an emoji to illustrate that they should scroll up and look at the picture that I had posted. There is an emoji that is pointing fingers, you know, <laughs> upwards. There is also an emoji that is pointing a different finger. And because emojis are very small, I picked the wrong one. <laughs> and I did a row of them <laughs> pointing upwards. Ethan Marshall told me that I had got the wrong emoji. And I said, no, I haven't. Look up. That's what I'm telling you to do. And he was like, no, Sarah, look closer. And I did, and died of embarrassment. Um, luckily, the youth group promised in that WhatsApp group to never tell a grown-up about what had happened. Um, and luckily, I can't see Ethan Marshall's parents in the room right now, so we're all OK. Please keep my story. Or perhaps you can think of something a little bit uh, more serious, a time when you've made a mistake and done something wrong, um, and perhaps you, know, you knew you were doing something wrong um, when you did it. Perhaps you might like to keep this. The prophet, um, how he's rebelled against God, how he's come back and decided to be obedient. And now the story turns to look at the people of Nineveh. Now, because of the history of the time, we don't know as and so Jonah arrives in Nineveh in verse 4, and he starts proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. I don't know how you would feel if somebody turned up in Guildford and started saying, 40 more days and Guildford would be overturned, but I don't imagine I would take it that seriously. Like, perhaps there'd be a Facebook group about the crazy lady or crazy guy of Guildford talking about how we're going to be um, destroyed. But here it says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, the passage, the author of Jonah, does not really focus a lot on Jonah's message. Um, I think it would be reasonable to assume that he said more than this, that he didn't just walk around repeating the one sentence for a whole day. But the author is not really bothered so much about what Jonah says and whether or not what he says is eloquent or convincing. Um, the author of Jonah is really focused on the response of the people of Nineveh. And he says here in verse 5, the Ninevites believed God, 
a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. I noticed four things here about the response of the Ninevites. First thing that I notice is that it was immediate. There is no concept that even though the visit to a city of Nineveh took three days, that Jonah even kept speaking for all three days. He spoke on the first day, and the people responded. They believed God. The second thing I notice is that it was a very humble response that they have. They fast, they abstain from food, they put on sackcloth. Our children's worker, Melissa, got out for me a piece of sackcloth because, of course, I mean, just how uncomfortable and ugly and difficult it would have been and unpleasant it would have been to wear. They made themselves physically appear in a humble state to show the humility of their minds. The third thing I notice about their response is that it is all-inclusive, everyone from the greatest to the least, all the people of Nineveh. In fact, even later, the animals are commanded to fast. That is how all-inclusive the response is of the people of Nineveh. And the fourth thing that I notice is that it's official. When word comes to the king, he also repents, he, put, he fasts, he puts on sackcloth, he puts on ashes, and he issues a decree that the way that people are already doing things shall be officially the rule, that they shall continue in this pattern, that they shall call on God. And in that way, we see how the repentance hits like every level of society. It's in the genuine heart of the people, but it also becomes part of their laws, part of their culture. And the great thing is when a decree would have been issued, it also became therefore part of their history as a city, that they were people who repented in, in a humble way, in an all-inclusive way, in an immediate way. That is an insane response to a quite critical person. Like, to have somebody come into your town, into your city, and tell you that you're so awful that you're all going to be destroyed, and the response is immediate and humble and is one of repentance. I wonder if you can think of a time when perhaps a public figure has done something wrong and then they've apologised. Did you believe them? We have difficulty in modern times believing in the truth of repentance. Too often we have seen that words and actions do not always line up. But instead of going after the easy figure, like public figures, easy targets that are public figures in our society at the moment, I think perhaps there's a challenge for us as well. It's easier for us to hide our shortfallings when they aren't public. We can hide them in our homes. We can hide them in our families. We can hide them in our own hearts as well. We can keep our shortfallings hidden away from the people whose judgment we might be scared of. So there is a question though for us this morning. Where in life do our words and our actions not line up? Where are they not good enough? Despite our difficulty in believing in authenticity, we know that the Ninevites' response was authentic. The Bible tells us that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God could see if what they were doing outwardly was lined up with how they were inwardly convicted. 
And in Luke, Jesus uses the Ninevites as an example of a people who listen to God. So we see that God was clearly convinced that their response was authentic. The author of Jonah is unequivocal in verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. They believed God and therefore they chose these actions. We know that they were authentic. Interestingly, though, they didn't seem to expect as a natural course that if they repented, they could experience a respite from God. They didn't think, like, automatically, if I say I'm sorry, then I must be forgiven. Um, We uh, have a three-year-old, and we've been teaching her, um, you know, that you have to be gentle with other people, particularly with our friend's dog. Um, And when you're not gentle, you should say sorry. And we've reached a problem, and the problem is that she thinks that if she says sorry, therefore everything must be fine straight away. And it is because we love her and we forgive her, but at the same time, trying to explain the depth of being sorry and not just saying sorry has become somewhat of a parenting challenge. Parents in the room, please tell me I'm not alone. So they have agreed, the Ninevites here have agreed to give up their their evil ways, um, but they're not convicted that forgiveness and a respite from the judgment that has been proclaimed over them is like necessarily a natural consequence. They acknowledge that it is entirely within God's power to choose what he is going to do, which also shows a really solid understanding of who God is, of what authority he has. And this is important for us as we're looking at Jonah and looking to see what lessons we might learn from it because what it teaches us is that salvation comes not from our own hearts but from God. The Ninevites were not saved by their repentance as solid and as authentic as it was. And if you think about it, if they were, it would seem like an injustice. Have you ever thought perhaps about a situation, imagine with me, a criminal steals like an heirloom from a family Um, And they steal it and they sell it to make profit and later they come to feel guilty for what they have done. They repent of it, they put their hands up, they say, yes, I am the one that stole this heirloom, I am sorry. But because they have sold off the heirloom, there is nothing they can do to make that family whole again. There's nothing they can do to return that priceless item to that family. It is not justice for them to just merely say, I am sorry. In in an example that might be closer to home, um, in a marriage you might think about a husband and wife who have an argument. Perhaps the wife says a cruel word to the husband. She says something harsh and unkind. And later she feels sorry that she has caused her husband pain and she says sorry to him. But it does not wipe out the pain that those words caused. The forgiveness and the restoration of that marriage is entirely the gift of the husband. He is able to offer the forgiveness. He is able to say, let us be reconciled. It is not in the gift of the person who perpetrated the crime or the offence, but in the gift of the person who was the victim to receive, to create forgiveness and restoration. In the same way, salvation comes from God. And this is honestly a relief. Um, I don't know if that's how you're feeling this morning, but to me it is a relief because otherwise I might be forced to wonder, have I repented enough for everything wrong that I have done? Have I felt guilty enough for every harm and pain that I have caused? For every time I have said a cruel word, for every time I have laughed at a cruel joke, for every time that I have thought or said or done something that is less than acceptable, 
do I feel bad enough about that that it's okay now? Do I feel bad enough about that that I don't need to feel bad about it anymore? That is such a weight to put on every person, to feel the true depth of everything that we have done and to feel it as if we must feel it or somehow it's going to get worse. The weight of our own guilt could overwhelm us. But instead, God looked at the cost of all of the wrong things that we have done, which we call sin. He looked at the cost of all of that, all the pain that we have caused. And like he does for the Ninevites in verse 10, he felt compassion for us. Because he loves us. He did not want us to bear the weight of everything wrong that we have ever done. And so he sent his son Jesus to die so that his death might pay the cost of all of our failings. Instead of justice, us paying the price, God brings about our salvation by grace. Now, what uh, Nathan has gone through today um, is our physical representation of this. Um, Felicity and Andy have promised, along with the parents and go- uh, along with the godparents, um, like the Ninevites, they promised to turn away from evil um, and to believe in God. And whilst I'm sure it is impossible for us to imagine that gorgeous little four-month boy ever doing anything wrong, Andy made a face, Um, we use the water as a symbol of how we've been washed clean by Jesus' sacrifice, just in case he ever does anything bad, which I'm, I'm certain he won't. Salvation for Nathan and for the whole family and for all of us has come from God. Now, does this mean that our behavior doesn't change? No. So if you were a youth group right now, you would have responded to that question. Um, No, it doesn't mean that. If we believe in God, we can receive his salvation and also his presence that helps and guides us. And we pray um, for Nathan that he will always know God guiding him, that he might grow into all that God made him to be into the most fantastic and wonderful grown-up who knows God's love. And we pray the same thing for his parents, for his family, and for all of us here, that we might know and share with everyone the grace and the love that God has shown us. Jesus said the people of Nineveh would judge the people of Jesus' time because they didn't recognize God even when he was standing right in front of them. Let us not be like those people. Let us hear that God is inviting us, perhaps once again, but perhaps for the first time, to receive his salvation, to receive the sign of his love for us. How much love that is, that we do not have to bear the burden of anything that we have ever done wrong. We do not have to sit there and worry that Ethan Marshall is going to point it out to us on a WhatsApp group. We do not have to worry about our own condemnation or the condemnation other people might put on us. But we can rest assured that God loves us so much. He was willing to pay the price to bear that burden. That we can find the joy in the salvation that we have in him, in knowing him, in knowing we are loved and forgiven. To turn away from the things that we might have done that have been unacceptable and to turn to God in joy. The Ninevites did not know God would respond to them. They weren't certain of it. We today can be certain. And we can be certain because God sent his son to live on earth and to die for us. 
And then we can continue to be certain because three days later, Jesus rose again, proving that he had conquered death. He had conquered condemnation. He had conquered sin. And we did not need to live under it anymore. So let us not be like the people of Jesus' time. Let us be a bit like the Ninevites, but way more certain that God knows and loves us. Can I invite you all to stand with me? And I might invite the band up as well. I'm just going to have a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you did not leave us on earth on our own to continue to make mistakes, to treat each other poorly, to be cruel or unkind. Thank you that you wanted better for us. And to show us a better way, you sent your son. Help us now to understand the truth of that again, or even for the first time. Reveal to us now your deep, deep love for us. As we wait, Lord, we rest in your love. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace. Amen.